Well, uh, maybe uh, when you hear the word evangelism, uh, I think it probably brings to mind for us uh, different ideas and different feelings. Um, but the word itself, uh, evangelism, um, doesn't mean that. It means uh, simply to announce or to bring good news. Um, and that should be a great thing, right? Uh, it means to announce the evangel, the gospel, uh, the good news. Uh, I think that should actually be something that excites us to tell good news to others. I mean, who wouldn't want to be involved in that? Um, but often the idea that we have in our minds about doing evangelism is probably a bit different to that. Uh, and perhaps you picture evangelism maybe as something more like this. This is uh, one person's experience of being part of an evangelism team uh, that were doing shopping centre evangelism. Uh, she describes it like this. Uh, as part of an organised attempt at evangelism on a mission trip, we were sent into a local shopping centre. Uh, we set up a puppet play and we had clowns that were positively frightening. The children were shopping with their parents at the supermarket and it was our job to wait at the checkout, hand the children balloons and lollies and tracks and try and coerce them into watching the puppet show at the same time as handing an invitation to their parents to attend the local church. The problem was the parents just wanted to do the shopping and go home. Uh, they were angry, they were turned off and some of them threw the tracks on the ground. They were saying things like, we just want to do our shopping. It was really quite negative. Uh, I would have been angry if I was one of the parents. I was embarrassed as a Christian because I thought it treated the children without dignity and the parents without respect and it had no relationship attached to any of it. We could have been selling cars or raffle tickets. I wonder if you've had a negative experience of evangelism like that. Uh, or is that the kind of thing that maybe comes to mind when you hear the word evangelism? Is that what you think you may be going to get roped into? Something that will embarrass you? Uh, something that treats others like sales targets? Uh, something that is really devoid of relationship? Um, and I think it's that comment, uh, that it had no relationship attached to any of it, that really captures maybe the awkwardness that sometimes we feel around evangelism. Uh, I remember reading this book a while ago um, by uh, Nabil Qureshi uh, called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It's his story of how he grew up as a Muslim and uh, came to faith in Jesus and then became an evangelist uh, himself. Uh, but he moved from Pakistan to uh, America as a teenager and he recounts um, in his story of how he would sometimes see Christians preaching on the street uh, and he would listen to them. Uh, and the comment that he makes in the book is that he admired them of how they spoke um, kind of boldly about their faith. And he often couldn't understand why a lot of other Christians didn't speak about their faith at all. Um, but he said while he admired their boldness, he said he never had any sense that they cared about him or loved him. Uh, and what was missing was the relationship. Um, now, this term in our Sundays and uh, also in our midweek small groups, uh, we're thinking about mission and evangelism. Uh, we're going to do that using uh, John Dixon's book called Promoting the Gospel. Uh, that's what this sermon series is based on, and Sam kicked that off for us last week. Um, and in, our, in our small groups, we're using this uh, uh, material from city to city called the ripple effect. And you'll be glad to know that in both of those, the approach to sharing the gospel is very relational. Uh, it understands the importance of relationships and recognises that the way that God most often brings people to faith is through ordinary, everyday relationships with believers as we seek to prayerfully 
and lovingly promote the gospel to our friends and family in our social networks. And what we're going to see today is how relationship-based evangelism is how it's always been done. Uh, But what is crucial for us as believers is that we would have an outward-looking mindset that is seeking the good of others so that they might be saved. Uh, And to explore that today, we're going to firstly just think about the mindset of Jesus, uh, his missional mindset as he comes to uh, seek and save the lost. And then we'll see how that mindset um, is transferred and continues in the Apostle Paul. Uh, And then finally we'll see how that is transferred to us, how this outward-looking missional mindset is what we are to have uh, as well. And really a key verse that um, shows us that trajectory is the end of 1 Corinthians 10 where Paul lays it out for us. He says, There I'm uh, not seeking my own good, but the good of many, uh, that they may be saved. And he says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So today we'll start with the example of Christ. Uh, What is his mindset? Uh, Well, it's in this passage that we've just read from uh, Luke 19 about Jesus and Zacchaeus that we see the mindset of Jesus so clearly. Uh, You might like to take a look there because really there is no better summary of what Jesus came to do than what he himself says in verse 10. Uh, Speaking of himself, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a great summary of his mission. Now, this is what his whole life and mission has been about. He came to seek and save the lost. And uh, it's quite significant, the context where Jesus says this in Luke's Gospel. Um, you notice this is about the final event uh, before uh, Easter week will begin as he makes his way next into Jerusalem where he'll be crucified and then rise again. And so uh, just before he heads into that final week, he makes this statement which is really a climax uh, of Luke's account of Jesus' ministry, everything that he's been teaching his disciples over the last three years. And uh, you notice as you read this story of just how relational Jesus is. Uh, He comes into Jericho where uh, short Zacchaeus has climbed up a tree so that he can see over the crowd. Jesus spots him there. He doesn't just preach at him, does he? But he says, I'm going to your place for dinner tonight. Uh, In verse 7, it says that all of the people in the crowd began to mutter. That is what they say. They say, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And what they mean by that is that Zacchaeus is someone who, well, a good religious person like Jesus, oh, he shouldn't be hanging out with someone like him. Uh, In the mindset of the Jewish people, well, Zacchaeus was someone to keep away from. He was a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, uh, a traitor to the Jewish people. But Jesus here, well, he seeks him out. He relates to him generously, goes to his house, shares a meal with him. We can only kind of imagine what they spoke about over that meal. But in the way that Jesus treats Zacchaeus, well, he gets a a glimpse, doesn't he, of the kindness of God. Uh, the welcome, the invitation that God offers, and it transforms him. And as you read through the Gospels, well, this is how Jesus just consistently treats those who are regarded as sinners. 
Uh, I mean, we're all sinners, but you know, in the mindset of the Jewish people, there were some who were definitely sinners. Uh, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus calls um, Levi, another tax collector, to follow him, and Jesus eats with them. And it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. But when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, it's because this is who he came to save. He shares his life with them. Another example, uh, in Luke chapter 7, uh, we're told a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. But in response to that Pharisee's questioning, well, Jesus then tells a parable about how those who have been forgiven much love much. And he says that this woman's sins are forgiven. Um, Another time we see Jesus' open welcome to sinners is the parable of the lost sons. Um, And right at the very start of that parable in Luke 15, uh, it tells us who the audience of that parable is. It says, now, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see the two groups that are there, the, the good people, the tax collect the um sorry, the Pharisees, and the sinners, the tax collectors. But Jesus then tells a story about uh, a father who runs out to welcome the sinner. And at the end of the story, the good son, who had always stayed home and always obeyed, is left out of the party. And then At the end of Jesus' ministry, we come to this uh, story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, another example showing us Jesus' mindset and his mission, how he comes to seek and save those who are lost from God, how he came to bring forgiveness and a welcome back into God's family. Uh, He teaches about this salvation in his ministry. He embodies it in the way that he relates to others. And then as he goes into Jerusalem, he accomplishes that salvation through his death and his resurrection. And friends, for us, as we think about uh, evangelism and our mindset, well, I think the first thing to see here is that it's Jesus' mission and his approach that should shape our mission. And, uh, I mean, one of the amazing things, isn't it, is you read the Gospels, there's no cringe factor (laughs) in the way that Jesus relates to people. Uh, Instead, there's compassion Uh, There's this way of relating that is warm and welcoming and very attractive. Uh, Now, I know Jesus is the master and it's a pretty high bar, isn't it, to try and copy him. Uh, But we can learn from him and we can have his compassion for the lost and we can learn to relate to people around us in ways that are natural and relational and that embody and express the welcome and grace and kindness of God. Uh, Because as we see, it's not just Jesus who has this mindset, but also the Apostle Paul has the same attitude and outlook. 
Um, now, that was not always Paul's outlook uh, when we first meet him in the book of Acts. Uh, he is one of those Pharisees who uh, strictly observe the law and he's looking down on those sinners. Um, and he becomes a persecutor of believers in Jesus. But, of course, that is all turned on its head, isn't it, after he meets Jesus himself, as he sees Jesus uh, risen from the dead, has his eyes opened, and then Paul, from that point on, devotes his life to proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And uh, what we see as he does that is that Paul in his ministry quite often finds himself in conflict with Jewish Christians because of the way that Paul so generously relates to outsiders, uh, especially in the way that he relates to Gentiles, those considered sinners. Not only does he share the gospel with them and seek their salvation, but he shares his life with them. He even shares his meal table with them, uh, which we can see is a clear reflection of Jesus' own practice of associating with sinners. And as we saw in our reading from Corinthians earlier, I mean, this was Paul's mindset and his outlook on life. Uh, You might like to turn over there now to 1 Corinthians uh, 9. Um, Some of it will come up on the screen, uh, but this uh, this section here in 1 Corinthians uh, shows us so clearly Paul's missional mindset. So from uh, verse 19 of chapter 9, he says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Uh, To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. You see how Paul, like Jesus, orients everything he does Uh, towards the salvation of outsiders. And he does this uh, for exactly the same reason that Jesus does, so that by all possible means I might save some. Now notice here that this is not a tactic that he uses to get people in so he can then thump them with the gospel or something like that. It's not tricking people like that story about the clowns and the puppet show. No, Paul uses the freedom that he has as a Christian, uh, adjusting his own life and behaviour so that no barrier will be put in the way to stop people hearing the gospel. So when he's with Jewish people, he respects their customs. Uh, When he's with uh, Gentiles, he respects their ways. Uh, When he's with the weak, which means uh, Christians who are weak in the faith, he behaves in a way that will not cause them to stumble. Um, Now this section here in 1 Corinthians, really starting from chapter 8, going right through to the end of chapter 10, is wrestling with this issue of how we behave as Christians and how we should use the freedom that we've been given. And the example Paul sets for us is that his mindset is not on doing what he wants, uh, not on pleasing himself or standing up for his rights. No, rather he shows us that we should be willing to give up our rights to give up our privileges for the sake of others, to be a slave to all for the sake of the mission. 
so that by all possible means they might be saved. Now, of course, where has Paul learnt that? Well, he's learned that from Jesus. Because this is what the gospel teaches. This is what the cross shows us. How the one who had all rights and all privileges, he gave up everything to seek and save the lost. He did that for you to save, to seek and to save you when you were lost. And so at the end of this section, Paul says to us, well, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So what might it look like for us to do that, <clears throat> for us to have the same mindset as Paul um, and as Jesus before him? Well, if we do have the mindset of Jesus and Paul, this is how uh, John Dixon summarises it. He gives us uh, three goals uh, that our lives should be governed by. And uh, these all come from Paul's summary at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So you might like to look over there. So from chapter 10, verse 31, uh, firstly, he says, the first goal is that we live with a desire to bring glory to the one true Lord. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So that is the big goal in life, uh, to live for God's glory. Because as we heard from uh, last week, uh, from Psalm 96, there is one Lord to whom all people belong and owe their allegiance. Uh, Our lives belong to God, and so everything in our lives is to be oriented toward his glory. Uh, If we are to have the mindset of Jesus and Paul, well, that is to be our overarching goal. The second and third goals that John Dixon uh, gives then uh, unpack what that looks like. So the second is that we do nothing that would cause anyone to stumble. Now you see that in what Paul says uh, in the next verses there from verse 32. He says, uh, Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. Um, Stumbling in Paul's letters... Uh, is about people missing out on salvation. Uh, So the goal here, it's not about um, avoiding upsetting people. Uh, It's about not acting in ways that would put the salvation of others at risk. Uh, Now, the example of uh, that which Paul has been unpacking in these chapters is a warning about not leading weaker believers into idol worship uh, by participating in meals where, where the food might have been offered to idols. You might think, well, that's not maybe a big issue for me and my friends and neighbours, but uh, it's worth, I think, thinking hard about the principle behind it and you know, what might be some behaviours or actions uh, today that might stop people or hinder them from experiencing God's grace and mercy? Uh, I mean, are there things that we do at church uh, that just make it difficult? Uh, for outsiders to come and feel welcome. Uh, Or maybe in how we relate to people at at work or in different social settings. I mean, are there ways in which we behave or speak or act uh, that is putting up a barrier, uh, stopping people from engaging with the gospel? Now, these are probably things that are hard for us to just name and recognise, but this is to be our goal. Our desire should be to do nothing that would cause anyone to stumble. Now, the more positive way to state that is the third, um, the third goal, that we would actively pursue the salvation of others. 
So Paul says this in verse 33, he says, For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, what we're going to learn from uh, John Dixon's book through this term is uh, that there are many ways that we can actively um, pursue the salvation of others. Um, But just to finish today, I wanted to remind us of what um, Julianne shared with us about a month ago when she came and ran that evangelism workshop. Um, Do you remember her four PR words? Oh, they're on the screen, so there they are. Um, uh, So these were the four encouragements that she gave us uh, as we actively pursue the salvation of others. Um, I wonder how you're going with those things over the last month. Uh, Are we devoting ourselves to prayer? One of the action points is to start praying regularly for maybe five people who you you know who don't know Jesus yet. Um, The next was to proclaim. Uh, The first action point there was that we are, are we able to talk about Jesus and our faith in a natural way? And um, doing the ripple effect material in our small groups is, is going to help us with that. Um, the third is to prioritise. Are we making space in our lives uh, for growing and deepening relationships with others? And I think if we learn today from the example of Jesus and Paul, well, hospitality is going to be a big part of that. I mean, are we setting aside some time in our Week to share our lives with others. And the fourth was to prepare. Uh, prepare for conversations. Uh, prepare yourself. Uh, prepare to invite. Uh, it's my hope that as we are encouraged in being on mission together on Sundays and during the week, that God will be preparing us, uh, but also preparing the hearts of our friends and neighbours uh, to hear and receive the good news. Um, because it is good news that we have to share. And, uh, I mean, here at church, God has made all of us differently. Uh, he's given us all different opportunities and different relationships he's placed us in. Um, so it's going to look different for all of us, but for each of us, I think we can all give ourselves to the same mission. Uh, we won't do it exactly the same as Jesus did or Paul did, but we can live with that same mindset seeking the good of many so that they may be saved. Uh, Let me pray that God would uh, help us in doing that together. Our Father God, we do thank you today for the uh, good news of how you uh, first sought us and saved us through the gift of your Son. And Lord, we pray that you would be Uh, growing us and teaching us and equipping us as we seek to share the good news with those around us. And we ask for your help in that. Uh, In Jesus' name. Amen.